1: market insight and analysis. You're listening to the opening bell of CNBC Squawk on the Street.
2: Good Wednesday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Cantoneo with David Faber at Post 9 of the New York Stock Exchange. Kramer has the morning off. Bulls trying to make it four straight gains after yesterday's action. Best day for the S&P since early June. On more signals, the labor market is normalizing. ADP is a miss. So is revised Q2 GDP. Ten-year 410 is about a three-week low. Our roadmap this morning begins with the economic data. Job growth slowing sharply in August.
1: Plus, HP Inc. is the biggest laggard on the S&P. It's posting its third straight revenue miss. That's the longest streak in almost eight years for that company. And we're keeping an eye on Hurricane Idalia making landfall in Florida. It has been downgraded to a Category 3 storm. We will get some live reports on what's going on there.
2: Let's begin with the markets, though, and the Fed. In light of this morning's ECO data, as we said, ADP 177. We were looking for 200K, David. That's the lowest since March. Not everybody watches it, but certainly coming on the heels of jolts. Uh, some people will take it.
1: Yeah, well, jolts yesterday was was uh, jolting, I guess, to a certain extent, wasn't it? We were on. We watched those uh, those yields decline fairly markedly on the, on the longer end, but overall. And uh, the market had quite a strong day yesterday. The question, of course, coming into today is, can we continue? But Uh, particularly sort of uh, the higher multiple mega cap tech names and just in general uh, Nasdaq Comp having a very strong session. I I know you've
2: been watching Nvidia and sort of what the action post print sort of told us but up 6% first three days of the week.
1: Yeah, Um, reversing of course what was the unexpected I would argue um, response to an earnings report the likes of which we've rarely seen following an earnings report the likes of which we've rarely seen uh, essentially exceeding all analysts expectations and the guidance and yet as we pointed out many times the stock did not react positively but this, thus far this week that has been a very different story for Nvidia shares you can see it right there month to date now up about five percent it did move up a bit remember into the print itself uh, of earnings um, and you had that partnership as well uh, with Alphabet that was announced.
2: Yeah, uh, some discussion that maybe uh, the AI sort of fascination is is reasserting itself. Amelius with this note arguing today that uh, is it fair to call Nvidia cheap? Uh, their target is 730. Uh, they do say a modest premium to its own AI basket, cheaper than Alphabet, which had its own news yesterday. Yeah, I mean, hard to imagine
1: you could be talking about a company trading what mid 30s uh, forward year, right? I think that's where we sort of were yesterday at the or with the recent lows, given its growth rate, which is above that of uh, of any of the other names. You might expect that that's a multiple that the market actually would say seems fairly reasonable, if not. You, again, you could argue. I'm not going to argue it, but others—I'll let <laughs> yes. others argue that it might even be cheap. Uh, a company going from what 16 billion in, uh, in quarterly revenues to what some analysts believe could be as much as 25 billion a quarter, given the insatiable demand for the product, of course, uh, right now, and being alone essentially in producing the highest-end chips to power the generative AI applications that are being used. Although, Carl, uh, more questions about the end-use case at Journal Story Today, about some of the smaller players and the venture capital side of the equation and whether or not that is going to slow markedly given there does seem to be perhaps a bit of a diminution in, in enthusiasm, even ChatGPT's nu- user numbers, for example, right. having declined a bit. Right.
2: All of this, of course, sort of re- reinforces the point that the market is highly tuned to what yields are doing. As we said, 10-year, which got to 4.10 yesterday, re- revisiting it today, the two-year got to 4.87, as uh, the market would love to see uh, more signs of certainly a uh, labor market normalization, uh, quits rate yesterday, talked about Joel's ADP, as we said, not not widely followed, but it will lead you to think that maybe the 170 estimate for Friday's jobs number is not unreasonable.
1: We'll see. And of course, let's not forget, even though we are getting that jobs number Friday, this is one of the slowest weeks of the year, without a doubt. We are in the last week of August, and we're talking about complacency, low liquidity, and it is fairly easy, so to speak, to move some of these stocks around. Uh, given both of those. Yeah, that's um, for sure. Yeah.
2: Uh, meantime, our next guest is that revenue growth expectations do appear a bit optimistic for next year, a case for a sharper pullback in the second half. Trivariate Research founder and CEO Adam Parker is with us here at Post9 to kick this around. It's great to see you, Adam. Yeah, thanks for having as far me. As, as far as August goes, uh, would we be lucky to get away with a 2% loss for the month? I mean,
3: you know, uh, obviously earlier in the month we had a pretty big pullback, but Last week, uh, we got two, two data points. To me, everything's about perceptions of growth and perceptions of rate, rates. And, and um, I was surprised early last week, I think Leesman or somebody said, oh, we're, we're in the good, you know, you know, good news is bad camp, and now we're nine days later, and we're talking about bad news is good, right? So that's the, uh, the other side of the quadrant uh, with the economic data. I mean, to me, the growth rate looks okay. I think earnings are gonna be slightly uh, higher next year than this year, but not, not as much as the consensus view. And um, I'm surprised that what's in the prices for cuts by January 25. and every equity investor I talk to all day long, none of them think that they're going to cut that many times. So we'll see if, you know this is perceived as dovish, obviously on a one-day view or two-day view. We'll see if that maintains itself. Has your view on
1: earnings changed at all, Adam? I do remember conversations at this desk where you continued to talk about the fact
3: that we might actually see lower numbers. I think it was 24 yeah, or, or, or 23. Yeah, kind of fla- yeah, maybe not so much. Yeah, we haven't changed our numbers at all this year. We're at 215. We've been there all year. And we're at 225 next year. We've been there all year. And what we said on the program was maybe 24 won't be very much above uh, 23. We'll see. I, I don't believe this V-shape recovery thing, though. That seems really unlikely because you had really high nominal GDP last year. Factories were running very hot. Um, and you had huge pricing power. Um, and I think now our view, we wrote a big note on industrials yesterday. Our view is like, I don't wanna say we're the whole pig through the Python from COVID, but it's getting mostly through and we can kind of have more of a normal cycle with demand supply dynamics going forward. So I, I, I think we're gonna have eroding earnings expectations and slight, slightly higher earnings next year than this year. I think that's a good base case.
2: People worry about September, the cruelest month. Then others come back and say, when your year-to-date gain is this big, it's actually not as bad on a seasonal basis. How do you think about that?
3: Um, astrological a little bit, you know. <laughs> I mean, you need a lot of data. Um, you know, I was joking around with Josh Brown about this on the air a couple weeks ago because he, he had this sort of third year of the election cycle thing oh, yes, going. Yes, yes. And I'm like, come on, man, like, you know, I'm going to need like 100 years of data to have statistical significance on that. You know, so it, I worry that stuff's a little spurious. You know, I've seen those same things too. I think it's all about, the market leads year-over-year growth by two to three quarters. We're gonna have accelerating growth through Q2 of next year. It's a, it's a fait complete, And then it looks kind of choppier in terms of whether it accelerates or, or decelerates in the second half of next year. So all we're trying to figure out is, will their earnings grow and accelerate year-over-year in the second half or not? And I think it's tough to call right now. So I think the market stays a little bit more range-bound. I think every person has a challenge justifying the valuation right cuz you just don't it, to get let's say you're coming today you're bullish you think the S&P is going to 5000 right 10% upside round numbers you got to pay 20 times the consensus numbers at the at the end of this year for next year 22 times my numbers the market never stays above 20 times sustainably so that's only likely if the the numbers are too low which i don't think is or we're just at the beginning of a multi year earning cycle again and it's like 2012 where it grows all the way to 19 and maybe that's where we are. That's what we need to believe, I think. In so order to justify, justify that? Yeah. Um, to get to 5,000. You were
1: pretty early talking about the prospect of AI. Yeah. Uh, even in, you know, in the workplace and overall in terms of what it would mean from the market. Carl and I were just talking about Nvidia, the reception to the earnings. I'm just curious to get your take overall. Adam, specifically to some of the names that are obviously garnering significant revenue increases from AI and those perhaps that are hoped to but haven't yet?
3: I mean, look, what we all want to do is tag every stock. Are you a beneficiary? Are you impregnable? Are you disrupted by it? Uh, And I guess increasingly, are you fake? Are you fake AI? Like we track every word related to AI in every transcript uh, over time. And there's lots of companies that are using AI related terminology that have nothing to do with AI. So I think a lot of management teams, IR guys have figured out, let's sprinkle a little AI dust into our transcript and see if we get a little multiple expansion. So I think part of what we're trying to figure out is like who benefits and who doesn't. Um, And you, you, in the the setup of the show, you you nailed it. I mean, NVIDIA had the biggest upward sales revisions of any mega cap company ever, two quarters in a row. And I I do think it looks cheap. It's the fastest growing mega cap company. And, um, you know, uh, I don't know. It, it's all like a perspective. If you, We wrote, I think, six months ago when it was $700 billion cap, we wouldn't be surprised if it was $2 trillion in five years. I don't know. I didn't think it would happen you know, this quickly, but <laughs> right. maybe it's two years. I mean, I, I don't know. Right. I mean, I'm not saying it's a smooth sailing, but, um, and as a former semiconductor analyst, you can certainly, I've seen, you know, you get burned and mm-hmm. think things are structural and they're cyclical at the wrong time. We, I've made that mistake many times. So, but it, it seems to me like they're the, they're the easiest beneficiary, but I think there's other silicon companies that will benefit AMD, Marvell, others. And I think what the market told you earlier in the month was, I'm going to sell the good news, and I don't believe it. And now I think there's a total change to all cyclicals and investing. If people think things are are good years 3 through 10, they almost don't care if fundamentals slow. Housing, it's the same thing. We know we're short structures, so, yeah, I want to, you know, but other things where they don't believe the 3 to 10-year story, airlines, I'm going to sell them. I mean, airlines put up great numbers, but everyone's like, yeah, they're cyclical, and eh, they're not good businesses years 3 through 10, so forget them. Whereas... I think anything silicon-related, compute-related, or housing-related, I think people still believe we need more in years three through 10, so they'll overlook the next six months and and just believe the dream long-term. I I
2: think that's interesting, though, because you're pretty circumspect about the broader market, but I think you tell clients to overweight NVIDIA, right?
3: Yeah, I mean, look, I think when it comes to these big tech stocks, our, our call for two years has been you should be close to market weight. So I wrote a note, like enough with the breath already, Stop complaining about it about two months ago because at the end of the day, look, one, the names are not replicable by other securities. So you can't say, I'll buy a basket of stocks to mirror Apple or NVIDIA exposure. You just can't find you know, those. Two, uh, I don't know, there's 60 sell-side analysts, and you guys tell me what, four million buy-side analysts will cover these things. So you can't know something about the stocks that nobody else knows. And then three, they just don't have that much idiosyncratic risk to basket of them. So my view is market weight, the cohort of Apple, Amazon, Google, Meta, whatever, and uh, maybe you want to own a little more NVIDIA and a little less of another one, sure. But then make your alphabets elsewhere, because if you're trying to beat the S&P long only and you're underweight that group, that's just a lot a lot to catch up with the other names. And finally, what about fake AI? I mean, are they gonna, Are we gonna know
1: fairly soon who really is fake and are multiple points gonna actually start to come out I a couple think, of names? I
3: think so, because I think some of these things are really discounting uh, a growth that won't materialize. Um, there are some companies that have products coming next year and they went up in an anticipatory fashion, like AMD and you know, Marvell right. and others. I think they will participate, but um, you know, I, I think the fake AI is more companies that will argue that they have a low net income or revenue per employee, and then this specter of um, using things that are generative to replace the employees will drive uh, margin expansion. And I'm more suspect than that. Think about banks. Like banks are have always invested in productivity enhancement, but mostly it's manifested itself in inferior experience for the end user (laughs) and not multiple expansion for the Stocks, So it's not like, oh, everything that does AI goes up. And I think that's what we need to figure out. And and I also think that people got a little too enthusiastic about, you know, how AI-able everything is. Like, you know, I think it just takes a longer time to replace employees. You have to run parallel systems. It could take multiple years. So if you want to buy companies for earnings expansion on AI for years 2027 through 2032 now, you know, God bless. I'd rather own the ones that get the revenue now. And that's why NVIDIA makes more sense to me.
2: All right. That's a great start, Adam. Thank you. Good Good to 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 see you guys, as always.
1: Thanks, Thanks, Adam. All
4: right.
1: Let's uh, now move on, of course, to that hurricane hitting Florida, making landfall on the Big Bend coastline after being downgraded. It is now a Category 3 storm. Let's go to NBC's Jay Gray. He's on the ground in Gainesville, Florida. Jay.
0: Yeah, and thankfully getting a bit of a break right now. What we've seen is the outer bands of this storm moving through this area throughout the evening and into the early morning, so we'll get heavy rain the wind picks up a bit and then we get a break like we're in right now that's going to change dramatically over the next several hours especially now that this storm has made its way across the coastline and it's moving across the state so we'll see the wind pick up we'll see the rain pick up and it will be sustained we won't get those breaks anymore of course we're a bit inland here so we're not dealing with what is turning into a a really epic storm surge, a wall of water that's pushing in along the coastline into areas it's not supposed to be. The National Hurricane Center says the strength of this storm uh, means that the strike point, which is just south of Perry, Florida, uh, could look more like a tornado was hit uh, than a hurricane. So it it could be leveled when when this clears. And then it makes its way up. and, And we're on the right or dirty side of this storm, so we could see Uh, some of the more severe conditions as it does make its way through. Uh, Of course the University of Florida is here so that's 50,000 students and a huge faculty. For those that haven't moved to higher ground they are locked down. That campus is is closed off obviously and and they're watching things unfold here and when we think of Florida, guys, we think of uh, the beach. This is a part of the state that has a lot of trees and, and that's going to be an issue with the high winds and of course, power lines as well, so there's a big concern that, that they're going to be snapped and pulled from the ground. Uh, you've got 5,500 National Guard troops already deployed and in key areas ready to move in once the storm clears. And about that power, we, we know that there are hundreds of crews from around the country stage just outside of the strike zone, and they will move in. But it's going to take some time. It's got to clear out. Uh, again right now here in Gainesville, a bit of a break. Unfortunately, we're seeing some people out and about. That that. I think they've been lulled by the the calming conditions here. We haven't seen the worst of this storm in this area yet, so hopefully, uh, guys, they'll get back in and and get to a safe spot because uh, more of this storm is definitely on the way.
2: For sure, Jay. Uh, We'll be watching uh, Florida and, of course, uh, Carolina and and Georgia as well in the coming days. Uh, Jay Gray, thanks so much. When we come back, uh, what the Commerce Secretary told our Eunice Yoon exclusively about her trip to China and the message that she is sending to that country's officials. Take a look at the pre-market here. Very busy session ahead of some earnings tonight, including Salesforce, Okta, CrowdStrike. More squawk on the street straight ahead.
5: Hello, I'm Laura Castleton, U.S. Head of Portfolio Construction and Strategy at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of brighter futures for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to
6: JaniceHenderson.com.
7: From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve.
1: Commerce Secretary Jenny Raimondo is heading back to the U.S. this after wrapping up her four-day trip to China. Eunice Yun spoke exclusively with the secretary, and she has the highlights for us. Eunice.
6: Thanks, David. Well, Secretary Raimondo described her visit as productive. Today in Shanghai, she visited various examples of U.S.-China cooperation at Shanghai Disneyland, NYU's local campus, as well as a Boeing facility. In my exclusive interview with her, I asked her about the concern among American companies that China could be uninvestable. And she said that she told her Chinese counterparts what they could do to address this concern.
4: Actions speak louder than words. You know, in all of my meetings, speaking with the Premier and the Vice Premier, they were gracious, they were open, they said that China uh, wants to uh, embrace American business. So now let's back that up with concrete action.
6: I also asked about cases like Micron, Intel, as well as Chinese export controls for um, two key metals that could disturb the semiconductor industry as possible uh, Chinese policy to retaliate against U.S. companies in in a way to kind of get back at the department's export controls. And this is what she said.
4: I think that that retaliation, if it is retaliation, isn't good. Like that isn't the way to build confidence or attract U.S. foreign direct investment.
6: And she also told me that there were, I mean, just amid all of this expectation that Boeing uh, could potentially uh, clinch some sales deal, she said that um, if that deal were to happen, that that would be a very good way for the Chinese to uh, really prove and rebuild trust by showing some action.
2: Hey, Eunice, today the, uh, the EU Chamber of Commerce in China said that uninvestable was not a term that applied to that country. Is there a sense that the Chinese are going to kind of let that remark go?
6: Oh, well, they're actually not really acknowledging the um, uninvestable comment. Uh, the Chinese foreign ministry today uh, dodged the question when uh, they were asked uh, by reporters, instead saying that the U.S. Uh, should do more to try to approve themselves and engage more in this kind of relationship. So it's difficult to say uh, whether or not uh, the Chinese are really going to make any significant difference. But at the same time, um, it is, um, as uh, Secretary Raimondo has said, and, and um, the Chinese have actually said as well, that it's good at least that the two are, are talking again.
2: Uh, For sure. Uh, Some statements in support of her visit and maybe uh, hopes for a a Xi-Biden meeting later in the year. Uh, Eunice will talk soon. Uh, Eunice Yoon in Shanghai today. Still to come, uh, more today's movers, including HPE, quarterly beat with some mixed guidance. They do highlight AI. And we will talk to Antonio Neri this morning in the 11 a.m. hour Eastern time. Meanwhile, uh, futures holding in there as the Bulls try to make it four straight wins. We couldn't even do back-to-back gains for most of the month. We're back in a minute.
3: The near-term environment is very challenging for our overall business. Customers are now more aggressively reducing their inventory, and we are now seeing some pockets of weak in-market demand, which complicates our customers' ongoing inventory reduction efforts.
2: That's Amborella, CEO, after this Q2 loss, uh, narrower than expected, but they do guide the October quarter lower as the computer vision maker has that weaker than expected guidance. Um, we do anticipate customers' inventory levels will normalize by the end of the year, which, David, they say sets them up for a return to growth in the next fiscal year, uh, but apparently not being able to draw it down in the near term.
1: No, so. we uh, no expect, uh, do not expect a recovery in calendar 2023. Um, as you said uh, 24 or perhaps a different story that's uh, that's not pretty there a loss of almost a quarter of the company's market value not sure what the read through is though but you know you put that on the enterprise side together with HPQ on the more the consumer side although enterprise is important there too
2: it's not a great read on demand right now carl yeah Uh, Meantime, TD Cowan cuts Ambarella to market perform. They were at 90. Uh, They go to 65. I think also a downgrade today of Texan, which was interesting. Uh, Yeah, Bernstein cuts to underperform 145. Um, So, I don't know. We'll we'll see what what this means for whether it's the consumer or the enterprise that's seen uh, demand soften fastest.
1: Yeah. Um, HPQ, by the way, cut its fiscal year guide. Again, worse than expected uh, recovery in PCs was the key there. They're talking about ongoing elevated channel inventory, promotional pricing environment, uh, as well as weakness uh, in printing. Um, And you can see what the stock has done. Sorry, I'm just taking a quick look for some of the comments from the call from Enrique Lore, Carl. Um, Biggest driver of the change of guide we've made is we're not expecting PC prices to recover sequentially as much as we were expecting one quarter ago. And this is really driven by what we do think is the channel situation at the market level. Because even if we have mostly normalized, our estimate is that the industry continues to have significant channel inventory. Um, and so aggressive prices, hey, you want to go out and buy a PC, it may
2: be a good time to do it. Yeah, uh, We'll see. What, uh... Not necessarily a good time to own that stock, though. Right. Uh, let's get ready for the opening bell here in the CNBC real-time exchange. At the Big board this morning, it is Amerisource Bergen, pharmaceutical services company, celebrating a name change uh, to Sankora. And over at the NASDAQ, it is beat a nonprofit news organization reporting on education across the United States. Speaking of demand out of the enterprise, uh, watch CRM tonight. Uh, we did have Dan Ives on yesterday out of Red Bush talking about better cross-selling activity, uh, better Slack integration, uh, monetizing some AI efforts. uh, But that's going to be key in terms of the software space, David. And these comments from Benioff about Dreamforce itself, uh, that it might be the last Dreamforce in San Francisco if, in fact, the homeless situation disrupts the conference this year.
1: It's interesting. I'm heading to a conference next week in San Francisco unclear as to why they continue to have it there, but they are having yep. it there at Goldman Sachs. As for CRM, you know, the stock has sort of stalled. You can see it on the chart there after, of course, what was a very strong and continue to be a strong year, um, settling with all those, all those activists, uh, a situation in the likes of which we've rarely have ever seen in terms of what was it, four or more different activists involved. Uh, obviously, uh, increasing their margin targets significantly. The focus more on profitability, given what many of those activists said was a dominant franchise in many ways, but not reflected in terms of uh, operating margins. But um, we'll be watching uh, closely, obviously, and whether, in fact, they can sustain that double-digit top-line growth that in part has helped to fuel what was a nice run-up this year. You can see three years, though, Carl, Never has quite made it back to the levels it saw during sort of pandemic and right after. Uh,
2: yeah, a bit of a mixed open here, uh, Dow up 70. Uh Got financials up uh, three-tenths of a percent. Energy is going to be helping out the market a little bit today. We talked about Hurricane Adalia earlier on, but at this point, it looks like about 200,000 people without power, uh, 5,000 National Guardsmen active with a lot more on standby. you are talking about about 14 million Americans in its path. It briefly was upgraded this morning to a cat four with wind speeds of about 130 miles an hour. It was... uh, downgraded to Cat 3 just before landfall, but uh, it's going to have, obviously, some impact on energy production uh, as uh, we're seeing that sector higher, and the S&P back above 4,500.
1: And NVIDIA, I just want to, as you take a look at the map there and the expectations for the movement of that hurricane, which, again, we will be tracking throughout the uh, the course of the day. I did want to come back to NVIDIA, up another 1%. It's been quite a strong week for the stock after, of course, as I've said many times, that perhaps unexpected reaction to those really incredible earnings and guidance. You know, we had Adam Parker join us towards the top of the show talking about his positive take on it. Uh, Forecast now to generate over $35 billion in 2024 free cash flow. So you're talking about a company that has about a 3% free cash flow yield on 24 expectations. Um, And that kind of makes it in line with, you know, as many as 80 other mega and large cap companies uh, whether it 's Texan, Microsoft, Walmart I mean you can go on uh, Oracle uh, and the like it has been notable of course that uh, again this week Carl has has proved to be quite a strong one for for the company and it does now have the uh, highest market value it 's ever had at one point two two trillion dollars
2: closing high uh, all time closing high yesterday forty seven eighty four uh, intraday <laughs> Could it get back above 502.66? I do wonder just how finally the market's gonna slice this one, but Mm -hmm. to see NVIDIA back at an all-time intraday high today, 10 bucks away, uh, what that would do to sentiment going into a new month.
1: Man, look at that 20-year, that's what she, wow. Uh, yeah, it is still a marvel, uh, and of course, will uh, we'll continue to be one that we watch closely. AMD shares, by the way, for their part, down a bit. You know, continued questions in terms of whether they really will have a chip that truly does compete on a performance level and a price level with NVIDIA, uh, which is something I guess we'll know prior to the end of this year uh, in terms of that AI chip or the one, the, the one that is going to help fuel generative AI. From AMD, you take a look at all of the uh, part, well, number of the participants, what we call the semiconductor companies, uh, including, of course, uh, AVGO, at Broadcom, there's, yeah, that's a better company. Yeah, you see, there. you that's see a the- better reflection of chips, so to speak. Right.
2: And there's a look at at Texan on on that uh, downgrade out of Bernstein. Tesla is the other interesting story. A bunch of auto news today, but uh, Tesla does get reiterated sell over at Guggenheim, and they do cut a bunch of numbers. They look at U.S. inventory uh, running at the highs of the year, which they argue uh, demand is lagging production. The bottom line is they do expect that to result in further price cuts, which they suggest would weigh on investor sentiment. Uh, Tesla a bit lower today. Meanwhile, NHTSA, uh, the Highway uh, Traffic Safety Administration, asking for, so for some more information from the company about the so-called Elon mode. Are you familiar with this, David? A bit, yes.
1: Yeah. Uh, I mean, Where it I, doesn't
2: tap you on the shoulder to put your hands on the wheel. Right,
1: right. I try to myself to be in Elon mode occasionally during the course of the day, just to, you know. Really? Yeah, sure, why not? Um, but uh, there's always been focus on this. There are plenty of critics who say that it's just simply not yet ready for prime time. Um, and there's plenty of people who will debate the other side of it, Carl. I have yet to actually experience it. Have you? I don't know. No, uh, no, autopilot. No, we're close. Um, we, you know, Phil was interviewing, um, it was this morning, I think it was the cruise, uh, the GM yes. effort, right? And, you know, that's interesting, too, questioning them in terms of um, whether that's ready for prime time.
2: There's a bunch of moving pieces. You had Adam Jonas over at Morgan Stanley yesterday argue to buy GM and Ford, even in the face of these UAW talks. Says the changes uh, uh, in terms of uh, operational efficiency are going to last a lot longer than any labor dispute does. Uh, you had Toyota with global production above 10 million units for the first time, as the supply chain's gotten a little bit better. And then I thought most interesting was China's biggest refiner, Sinopec, pulling forward their forecast for peak gas demand in China Hmm. because they've made such strides in EVs.
1: That's a big deal. They are the largest market by far for EVs. And, of course, don't forget, so much of Tesla's production actually does come out of the Shanghai factory there as well, much of it for domestic consumption by by Chinese as well. But you're right. We talk about them being the largest emitter of carbon, which they continue to be, given how many coal plants they also open. But when it comes to solar and EV, Chinese are also moving aggressively. Uh, and that's interesting. I did not see that pull forward in terms of demand. Of course, that's a larger question as well that we've ent- entertained many times, including the the reporting I did when I was reporting my documentary on ExxonMobil over a year ago at this point, or more than a year and a half ago or so. When do you really see a significant diminution in ultimate usage of the end product? Uh, don't forget, of course. It, they're still plastic. They're still fertilizer. There's still so many other uses that it's hard jet fuel that are harder to see a real end in terms of what oil production would look like. But
2: gasoline's not insignificant. Yep. Yeah. And that's a big market uh, making getting close to that inflection point. Uh, David, 4,500. Uh, we talked about the S&P reclaiming its 50 day moving average yesterday. You know what else is close to reclaiming it is no. Apple. Uh, back to 185 that's a dollar away from the average. And we did get that news yesterday, uh, the invitation to the September 12 event, where we think we're going to get the iPhone 15. The other news, David, in media, as we sort of move into that area, is the Killers of the Flower Moon, the Scorsese picture co-distributed with Paramount, uh, was going to be limited release October 6th, now going to be globally wide release October 26th, I think, or 20th, including IMAX. Apple's tentacles continue to move into the movie business. Interesting.
1: Uh, And the question, of course, will be how much more aggressive they get when it comes to sports programming. They can do whatever they want when it comes to content, Carl, given the size of their balance sheet and the capital commitment really is is such a small amount for them. And that continues to be sort of the question as to whether they, if they want to move more aggressively, will they consider a partnership in some way with ESPN, for example? If Jim were here, he'd already be talking about EDQ and soccer. We know that without a doubt. But it is not, you know, it it shouldn't be overlooked. Um, It's not core to the business, nor is it for Amazon either. But nonetheless, when it comes to sort of the other players there, they can just swamp them in terms of what they can actually choose to do. If they, choo- if they choose to commit a certain amount of capital to it um, when it comes to sports rights and everything else. So, certainly bears watching. Uh, did notice our parent company, Comcast, flirting with 47. Yes. Kind of a nice little move of late and during the course of the year. Stock up almost 35% uh, this year. Uh, in uh, contrast to a certain extent, of course, to the likes of AT&T and Verizon, despite those that upgrade yesterday, uh, they are both uh, substantially lower for, uh, for the year. Uh, T-Mobile sort of hanging in there, let's call it a little b- little below flat. But uh, yeah, uh, no, no news per se no. on Comcast that I'm aware of.
2: No. Um, of course, we talked about the at t upgrade out of city yesterday yes. and Verizon yes. are looking for stability in the wireless business. Meanwhile, over at WBD, uh, new chairman and CEO of CNN, yep. as Mark Thompson's going to, take over a job that was vacated by uh, Chris Licht uh, amid a lot of attention. uh, But that's going to be interesting to see how they put forward their digital efforts and and what that does to the streaming space, how it affects uh, news delivery. uh, Yeah,
1: I mean, he's credited with having sort of created much of the digital strategy behind the resurgence of the New York Times. They're now targeting, what, 15 million digital subscribers for that, uh, for the New York Times, up from what had been 10 million originally, but he was there at sort of much of the outset and, and execution on that digital strategy, which is viewed quite positively. Also an executive uh, for quite some time at the BBC is Mr. Thompson. As Carl said, there's been sort of this triumvirate kind of overseeing uh, CNN for the time being. He will take over. Uh, you know, when it comes to Warner Brothers' discovery, uh, CNN punches well above its weight in terms of attention, time spent questions that Zaslov has to get about it. Um, but it did produce at its height. It was producing a billion dollars in cash flow. That's not insignificant, certainly for a company that has the debt load that this company does. And that is down, let's call it 20, perhaps even more percent from its highs. And perhaps this also ends some speculation. Would they ever consider some sort of a sale Uh, or other transaction Um, doesn't appear that that is the case certainly you you wouldn't think so if you're committing to somebody potentially for the long term but they've got their work to do Uh, ratings are down yeah. And our pair, our sister network yeah. MSNBC has certainly been a benefit. Yeah,
2: benefit biggest uh, highest rated month in a couple of years. Yeah, the month of August with a bunch of number ones against uh, against CNN's uh, competition. Um, home builders are kind of interesting to watch. I don't know if you saw mortgage apps today, but we finally got a positive week. Composite up two, purchase up two, refis up two and a half. Um, as you might expect, maybe some relief in uh, the 30-year fixed in the coming days. Mm -hmm. We'll see. Also, Redfin uh, had some data out today looking at the percentage of homes that are bought by real estate investors. Um, 45% fewer homes uh, than a year ago in terms of investor purchases. So if you see some of that, if you see the investor constituency pulling out of that market. It uh, might be interesting to see what, what's going on with demand.
1: Yeah, although, I mean, as Adam Parker said, I think as well during uh, hitting a lot of different things, over the long term, there's still a lack of structure, essentially, and that is seen as a real positive. We've mentioned any number of times that new home sales is a percent of overall home sales, something like 30%, almost a threefold uh, above what they typically have been, if you have sort of the an inventory uh, picture that is more typical of what we've seen. Um, Carla, a a story I've been following for some time here. um, Well, not some time, but the last few weeks is this uh, back and forth about a hedge fund uh, known as Sculpture Capital Management. It used to be Oxif. It's small, I know that, but I can't help it because it's just so good, the story. Uh, So forgive me for that. But it's a battle between billionaires. May not have added a great deal of value when it comes to their investor base, but certainly have made plenty of money. And man, they are just going at it. Uh there was a response from Sculptor late yesterday uh, to complaints from Danny Ock, of course, the founder of Oxif, and a group that he is associated with that has made a rival offer to acquire the company at ostensibly a higher price, but has not been given um, confidential information has not been allowed to, at this point, seen as likely to lead to a higher bid and so therefore has not been brought in to really negotiate. Sculptor coming back at special committee uh, with a lot of different uh, rejoinders. Uh, How's uh, to the demand to inspect the books? Well, listen, to the extent that Mr. Oxfocus has extended beyond his continuing vendetta against the company and Mr. Levin, that's Jimmy Levin who runs uh, the company right now. It has been to negotiate for Mr. Ock's own economic interests, stemming from his years running the company. It was only when Rhythm, that's the company, of course, that has a deal to acquire it for uh, right now, refused to accede to Mr. Ock's demands that he chose to oppose that deal. And it goes on from there. They say if he'd had legitimate concerns about the process, um, he could have simply asked the bidders with whom he met Given the multiple weeks of negotiation afforded Mr. Ock with these bidders, he had multiple opportunities to raise his concerns. And then in a separate filing, uh, they point out that he took home $3.3 billion since 2007, while the company's stock price dropped by 96%. There was that time, Carl, you may recall, when many of these alternative asset managers and the like started to go public or even hedge funds, uh, except one of them at that time. Pedestrian returns for its investors, uh, although they were not focused on necessarily outperforming the market as much as simply predictability, um, with some $30 billion in assets, though much of it related to credit, um, one reason why Boaz Weinstein, leading that group, might be interested, given his credit fund. But we're going to continue to monitor the back and forth. Nothing better than watching
2: billionaires fight, is there? Uh, a lot of bold-faced names. There's no doubt on that story. Um, so 4504. Uh, Dow's doing fairly well breath-wise, Boeing almost a two-week high. Let's get to Bob Bassani. Hey, Bob. Good
5: morning, guys. Uh, I know this is supposed to be a quiet week, but actually it's very significant because the macro uh, conversation has really been strengthened this week. So we've had a weaker JOLTS report. Today we have a, a ADP a little bit weaker. This is the Goldilocks paradigm unfolding. And remember, we had some concerns in the middle mo- of the month about stronger economic reports, but not so far this week. And the markets responded. We're up 2%. We're up three days in a row. Uh, today a little more mixed it's about even on the advanced decline line energy healthcare consumer staples uh, yeah. doing well energy and healthcare up this month about the only two tech which has had a very choppy month is on an upswing uh, but flat today I think the you want to get a good sense of where tech is growing. Look at the S&P growth ETF. It's IVW here. And this is basically what you want. This is Apple, Microsoft, NVIDIA, Alphabet, Tesla. And you can see the, the sort of turnaround it had in the middle of the month. We're now only down 1% on the month. And again, this is essentially your, your tech component, your big cap tech Uh, growth components turning around. As for the leadership group, rather odd group here. uh, um, A few pharmaceuticals, obviously, on uh, various headline news. A a couple of big industrials like Eaton and Ingersoll we've talked about. Quasi-AI plays here. And a few smattering of energy stocks like Marathon Petroleum. But that's not as strong as it was uh, after oil came off of its highs. As for where we are, We had strong reports in the middle of the month, but right now, stocks remain positioned for the soft landing. The pain trade that would cause the biggest discomfort to everyone would be either side of the soft landing. Somewhat stronger growth, which we saw in the middle of the month, causing a little bit of concern, and much weaker than expected growth, uh, uh, overall uh, growth. Uh, that might happen, and that so far has not happened to any tremendous extent here. So, again, the pain trade is on either side of the uh, soft landing story here. As for where we are for uh, September, uh, pretty simple. Uh, stocks remain expensive. You take a look at the forward earnings estimates. We're still a little over 19 times forward. That's still a problem for the market. So we're not, there's no bargains out there for the overall stock market. The concern is rates still creep higher here and China remains weaker. So there's your main issues for what's going on. The big issue is can earnings support the equity markets right now? That's what we're going to turn to. And I'm the stocks guy. So here's your numbers here. Uh, And if you add all these up for Q3, Q4, Q1 and Q2, uh, you get $232. You divide that by the S&P and you get 19.3 times forward earnings. So that's still expensive. We need to have earnings come up a little more to make the market more attractively valued from a a valuation perspective. Finally, I I like to track alcohol sales because, well, this is Wall Street, folks, and we had Brown Foreman out yesterday. Those of you who still like bourbon, this is Jack Daniels, of course. Uh, gosh, you're so 2018 because whiskey sales were down 1%. Again, this is Jack Daniels and Old Forrester and Woodford Reserve. Uh, I don't know anything about them. I just read about it on the internet. Tequila is what's really popular. Look at that up, 15%. And here's one that I keep watching with amazement, the ready to drink. This is canned cocktails, folks. Up 52%. So, forget about the Jack Daniels. It's Herodora, which is the premium tequila that Brown Forma makes that's really taken off right now. And those canned cocktails. Don't understand that one, Carl, but that's what's popular right now. Back to you.
1: Never catch Bob Pisani with a canned cocktail. No,
5: nothing about
2: it. Never heard (laughs) of it. I look like...
5: Oh, no. I know nothing about my, my interests are purely intellectual.
1: Yes. Of course. He puts Someone. on a tuxedo after 6 o'clock.
2: Someone doth protest uh, too much, uh, BP. Uh, Bob Bassani, thanks. As we go to break, uh, check bonds. Uh, two years still around 485. Ten year has crept up maybe a basis point, but still around 411 on the heels of uh, weak ADP and that uh, downward revision to Q2 GDP. We'll be right back. Dow up 152, quick early session highs as we've got only two components in the red, Intel and 3M, and 3M not by much, being led by uh, Boeing, Apple, Caterpillar, Visa, and Amex. By the way, don't forget Kramer's week-long back-to-school special continues tonight on Mad Money featuring some of the most important market lessons he's learned in his many years of investing at 6 p.m. Eastern time. Make sure to tune in. Back in a moment.
1: S&P right now still on pace for what would be a negative month. Uh, But some of the names in the payment industry, they're outperforming this August. Kate Rooney has that story for us.
4: Kate. Hey, David. Good morning. So Visa and MasterCard are up about 4% for the month, hitting multi-year highs. It comes after the Wall Street Journal reported that the card networks are scheduled to raise fees this year. So-called interchange fees that they're talking about have really been a point of contention between small businesses, and really all businesses, and those card networks. Their performance is miles better than we've seen from the broader payments sector. We've got Amex, Block, Coinbase, Robinhood, SoFi, PayPal, all down in August. I mentioned those fees, guys. There's part of uh, the payment space that's actually going in the other direction. You're seeing price cuts And analysts I've been talking to describe this now as a race to the bottom by PayPal. They're slashing prices for some of the software that lets businesses accept payments. That's sometimes called merchant acquiring. PayPal does this through a subsidiary called Braintree. So the play is to lower prices and then gain business and and cross-sell some other products for PayPal. These price cuts have already hit at least one major competitor, Dutch payments giant Adyen. The stock hit a three-year low last week after missing expectation and its slowest sales growth since going public. Adyen executives called out what they called Competitive pressure in North America related to higher rates and a higher rate environment. But Mizuho called that a euphemism for pricing pressure. They say PayPal's land grab strategy likely contributed to a sharp decline in Addion's North American growth revenue. You can see PayPal and Braintree have seen pretty steady growth. And then you've got Addion dropping to 23% growth. That's down from 41% a year ago. Lisa Ellis over at Moffitt-Nathanson, also among those, noting aggressive pricing, by PayPal that hit Addion. And privately held Stripe also operates, guys, in this pay tech space. You've also got FIS, Fiserv, Chase, and Block that all have parts of their businesses now subject to this price war. Back to you. All right,
2: Kate, okay, appreciate that. Uh, Kate Rooney this morning. Uh, 45-15 here. We continue to pare away some of the losses in August. This is the highest level right now since August 10th. Uh, all sectors have quickly gone green. Industrials lead you. VIX near 14. We're back in a moment.
1: You've been listening to the opening hour of CNBC's Squawk on the Street.
7: its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Squawk on the Street disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Squawk on the Street disclaimer. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available
6: when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.